Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Michael Hoffman, and you are watching the Ocean Curious webcast podcast, and we are now live streaming. I am here uh, with my wonderful OSINT Curious advisory board and executive board members, uh, Nico Dakins. Nico, say hi to everybody. Hi, Nico here, also known as Dutch OSINT guy. Cool. And Inej, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. For those who don't know me, I'm Ines, I-W-N underscore L-X on Twitter. Cool. And Stephen, why don't you say hi? Hi, everyone. I'm Stephen Harris, better known as Nick Sintel on Twitter, and I am really looking forward to this evening's webcast. Yeah. And this is uh, this is something that we're we're growing into here in 2021. Um, we've had a couple of these just to trying them out, and we're really excited that you, are, our listeners, are actually here to join us. So uh, you know, as we're going through the, the the actual live stream today, if you have things that you want to say to us, you have comments or suggestions for your favorite topics or things that we talk about, please go ahead. Um, you are probably listening to us on Twitch, listening to us on Periscope, or listening to us and watching us on YouTube. So please, please, please interact with us. I already see some of our longtime listeners like Lock Picking Pete and Nosit. Uh, Nosint are in the house too. Welcome to you fellas. Welcome. Um, So y'all doing okay? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Nods Fine. from all. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right. So today's topic. Oh, as as we talked about before on, on the other live streams, um, we decided to start moving towards discussion topics for our live streams. And since we have international group of experts here, uh, let's see what today's topic is. Um, today's topic comes from the uh, actually uh, the place where we are, uh, where we have our OSINT Curious Discord channel over on the Searchlight Discord. Uh, Zewin over there. Um, mention, ask a question of uh, what to do or work on when you're an intermediate OSINTer looking for your first job in the industry. And uh, one of the other things that he, he mentioned was that, well, there's, uh, there's a lot of resources for getting started in OSINT, your first OSINT job and all that. But uh, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think uh, more intermediate people should have on their resume, know how to do um, as they, they get a more experience. What do you all think? I think it kind of depends on which area of OSINT you're interested in because it's a really, really broad topic. Um, so whether you're interested in investigating crime or stopping fraud or you're a recruiter or something like that, um, it, it really depends on which area you want to go in as to what sort of skills you need to have. So you need to have a clear idea of what sort of OSINT role you would like to do. Um, that's a really big question. Um, and then in terms of what skills you have, I guess that, that partly depends on what area you're going into, but it certainly does no harm to have, um, so if you take part in things like capture the flags or you're involved in voluntary projects like, um, I'll say Trace Labs, for example, I know there are many organizations like Trace Labs, and perhaps depending on the kind of OSINT work you're doing, maybe you put a few tools or a few scripts together, uh, blog posts, that, that's what people want to see, to see if you have the skills um, for, the, for the work that you're interested in. 
Well, I guess the question also becomes, I know, Nico, you were just going to say something, but the question is, what is an intermediate OSINT person? You mentioned that there's a lot of different jobs out there, a lot of different skill levels and, and a lot of different things that people are looking for. What would you all consider intermediate? Two years in the field? One year well, casework? I think um, what I see is that you would have at least uh, the understanding, a, a rough understanding of the fundamentals. So... Okay. Um, so you need to know uh, what OSINT is, how to perform OSINT using the analysis cycle, in essence. Uh, know your basic tool set based upon that specific field that you are in. And I think if you want to go one step further from intermediate, then you need to specialize in something. Or I, that would be my suggestion. Try and specialize in one or two things within the OSINT field. Because like Nick said, it's so broad. You can okay. learn so much within OSINT. And when I look at my background, uh, when I started out and I followed, let's say, two or three OSINT courses, I felt like, hmm, now I'm at that net level that I, I, I know what OSINT is. I understand what OSINT is. But I want to become really good at something specific. And then I chose at that moment in time to really go uh, super deep in everything that had to do with terrorism, for instance. Okay. And, af and after that, I went forward, for instance, in, in online um, uh, infiltration kind of techniques using OSINT. So depending on what you're doing, I can only imagine, for instance, if you are in red teaming or that kind of stuff, you may want to learn uh, an awful lot about certain uh, phishing techniques or how to craft those techniques using open source intelligence. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned, um, and Nick's did too, is is experience. Um, and you both mentioned how broad the field of open source intelligence is, uh, whether, you, um, whether you're looking at people or businesses, uh, domains, IPs, whatever. I mean, the field is really broad. Uh, I guess my, my follow-up question is, do you need to have skills in all of these areas or for a more intermediate person, can you um, not specialize per se, but have a stronger sense of skills in geolocation of humans or, or uh, image analysis or doing some of those things? Um, any thoughts? I think the most important thing is that you find something that you're passionate about, because mm. if you find that, what drives you, it, it will make you a better professional. And sometimes it's not very clear, but usually that's the amazing part of starting on OSINT is that with those one, two years of experience that we're talking about, like trying to learn the basics, you will have certain case studies or certain situations in which you won't see the hours go. And that's the area you probably should work more, more on it. Now, one of the interesting things about OSINT, and I usually say this, is that for people who don't know OSINT, and when you're looking for a job, it may be a situation where the person that's interviewing you or that's giving you the job doesn't actually know how OSINT works. You will only miss it once you're used to it. So sometimes it's a questioning of not saying or not thinking about OSINT as um, a skills, a technical skill set, but thinking about OSINT as a way of how you 
work as a person, of your mindset, of your work methodologies, because OSINT inevitably makes you a better researcher, makes you a better person doing that analysis cycle, understanding what sources are, what is what is sources validity, what is really important, how do things connect, and that reasoning makes you a better professional in any field. Yeah. Being able to do that analysis, being able to be self-motivated. I you mentioned passion, which which uh, I know that we've talked about many times in our various shows and stuff. Um, but having that self-direction and the the more more grace of of that uh, analysis and being able to do that is very important as well. Um, and um, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, another OSINT Curious member here. Uh, Technizette, you're muted right now, but go ahead and if you want, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Lizette, or also known as Technizette. I was running a little bit late, but I'm very happy to see everybody again. Yay. Yeah, nice to have you on. Uh, Lizette, and for anybody just joining, um, we're talking about what it takes to be an intermediate level OSINT person. And, and then, you know, once we kind of are defining what that is, we're going to move into some of the other interesting things that we can do as, as more advanced users. So, Lizette, do you have any, just going to throw you under the bus here, put you on the spot. Um, what are your thoughts on, on what's the difference between beginner and intermediate person in our interest, in our, in our industry? Probably the knowledge you gain over the years, how platforms work. Like uh, if you're like, if you know how a certain social media platform works and a new one pops up, you immediately know where to search for interesting information. For example, how to dig up a user ID from a source code or how to manipulate the URL to see if you can maybe enlarge a profile picture. Those will be skills you probably won't have at the start of your OSINT career. You will have to learn those and gain that little bit of um, analysis feeling. Like the moment you see something, you immediately start linking it to other things or you know how to proceed in your investigation. So you see a photo, you know that reverse image search could be an option. Mm. You know, like you see threads coming along on YouTube, you know there's a GitHub script for that to, to get them all offline and to work with them in analysis software like Multigo or anything else. I think that's probably the difference. So you're so, becoming Neo. You're seeing the matrix. <laughs> well, you, yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you're essence, seeing the yeah. connections, right? You, I mean, when you, Nico, when you look at a video, you don't just look at the video. You're doing that image analysis. You're looking at the background. You're looking at the foreground. You're looking for tells. You're looking for metadata. You're looking for who's liked it. You know, you, you, you see that one piece of media posted on some site, and you go through all of these different things that you need to investigate. And I think as you move from beginner of, okay, I found a video that's interesting. What do I do next? It's that, what do I do next? And do I have this knowledge, skills, and abilities to do that next thing that makes somebody more of an intermediate? Yeah, but also I think that next thing is also a little bit more, uh, do I know how to um, adapt to changes? Because when, when I look back at my career at law enforcement, all the people who started out were very reliant on tools uh, oh, that other okay. people uh, build. And as soon as the tool broke, 
they they were blind basically they couldn't do anything anymore so they needed to for instance the intermediate or the experts to tell them hey if something breaks look in the source code so that's in my experience that can give you just that extra advantage to be able to uh, to adapt to change or if things break so flexibility adaptability yeah. experience uh, the ability to do uh, logical and um, meaningful analysis of things, determine next uh, uh, collection goals and those types of things as well. Also, I like that statement that lockpicking me, uh, Pete just made. He said, well, for me, it was networking and being present and around. That also, I think, is really viable. It really helped me when I started out um, getting in contact, for instance, with most of you all and 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 learning from you all also being able to say hey i'm nico i think i know a little bit something about osint but here's something that i definitely need to learn more about can you tell me or can you help me or can you point me towards a source or something and that's what i really like about the osint community is that compared to other areas i have work experience in this is probably the most um the community that shares the most and is willing to learn others as well. So if somebody sends me a DM on Twitter asking me about a certain um, software program or website or anything else, I'm willing to help that person uh, know more about whatever they are asking. And I think that's also very unique in our community that we share so much and people are very open to share their knowledge and to learn from others as well. Absolutely. I'm also, also curious. Hey, yeah, there you go. I was waiting for you to do the plug. Um, no, but I mean, seriously, I, uh, over the last five years or so, we, we have seen, at least in my opinion, correct me here, an explosion of people sharing more techniques, more methodologies, more um, live walkthroughs, more nicks. I mean, how to do geolocation of things in the quiz times. Uh, there's more, not only uh, documentation out there, but there's also more opportunities to engage with the community through the slacks and the discords and the other things and through uh things like ctfs and cptf and the the europol you know find a child uh, abuser type of sites so um it's kind of interesting so there are lots of opportunities to engage would you also agree that that moving beyond the core I mean, having somebody that's that's got Nico, you mentioned this, having somebody that has the core things of OSINT down, uh, whatever those happen to be for your in area of expertise in your industry, but maybe moving more broadly um, into other areas that could be helpful would also be important or no? Do you mean outside of OSINT, for instance? No, I mean like expanding what OSINT is, you know, it, yeah. um, and as you're, you're uh, shaking your head a lot there, yeah, because I, I have exactly that. I had exactly that feeling when when I stopped working like as an OSINT analyst in, in law enforcement. I was I couldn't because of my job contract actually work on OSINT, right? And it was funny because it was challenging to me because I wanted to work, uh, still continue to work with OSINT, but I couldn't like get an OSINT job. And if you think about it, actually OSINT is present everywhere. So I, as I was saying, sometimes companies will not be aware of that. So maybe they will not ask it in their like skill set. But once you show them how 
useful it is in day-to-day -day basis, you will find it. And I've done this actually in two ways, which are ex excellent um, work opportunities, for example, for those who are listening. One of them was academic research. So I've been doing a lot of work uh, at university where I teach using digital methods, which is an academic word for OSINT, but it's not that different. And you have a lot of scholarship and opportunities. There's a lot of interest in what can you do with social media and what's happening. And on the side, I created a company that works on genealogy. And this will sound very weird, but actually genealogy is one of the most similar areas to OSINT because it's just like a puzzle. And everything's online now. We're like, 90% of documents are actually online, newspapers, old newspapers, old birth certificates, everything is searchable. So you need the same set of tools to try to find people and try to find selectors, so characteristics of them, their job, they were in the army, they were living here, and then just like try to build up your puzzle and doing that research question that we've done so many times, which is where am I gonna search next? Oh. He was in the army. Maybe there's army records. Maybe I should try to see where's that. And it's been going really, really well. We have 12 people working for us right now. And so you can use it for everything. Just, just don't let yourself be set, your barriers to be set by the industry. Just think about it. Where can I use this and go for it? It's essentially, I don't know if I could coin this phrase, it's like being OSINT curious about something, right? I mean, it, it really is, right? You're like, huh, a genealogy is interesting to me or somebody asked me to do something with genealogy. Let me see what's in there. And you get in and you're like, I see names, I see birth dates, I see relationships. Huh, this is very similar to the social media networks that we that we work on. And then bringing that in, um, neat, all right. Yeah, I also like that perspective on those uh, those academics because I did attend one of those DMI summer schools, digital methods and emphasis summer schools in Amsterdam, where um, it's still something that I talk I like to talk about oftenly because there I was not not also confronted with doing open source intelligence research, but I was also confronted with students from all over the world with different backgrounds and different perspectives, and that was probably even. Um, the biggest learning curve I made during that week. They gave me perspectives and insights that I would have never thought of, really never, and amazing insights, looking at angles and different things that I was like, mind is blown. Why didn't I think of that? But with that, we found new information. Actually, Nico, funny that you say that because I was coordinating a project in last year's DMI at the winter school, just before everything shut down. And it's a really good, uh, idea for those of you who are already like intermediate OSINT and eventually want to enter the academic world, they usually have two workshops a year, one in the summer and one in the winter. And as Nico just said, it's really interesting. It's developed by the University of Amsterdam, but it's fully in English, so anyone can join. And it's called Digital Methods, then it's winter school or summer school. So yeah. go check it out. And if you know how to learn how to write reports, you will learn there, trust me. All right. Hey, Nico or Ernest, can you get a link maybe? And we'll toss it into the, um, toss it into the, the private chat and I'll, I'll publish it. Awesome. All right. So for our listeners out there um, who are just joining in, uh, we are the OSINT Curious, we're a part of the OSINT Curious crew. And we're talking about 
Um, what is intermediate level OSINT and what, what that level of expertise concerns and just, you know, what can you do with that and what, what should you expect? Of course, these are our opinions based upon our experiences and we have a lot of international experience here. Um, and what happens over in your part of the world or with your employer organization may be different from what we say. Um, but, um, so, so. So we've heard from Anesh that going wider is important, right? Looking at areas outside of just the normal uh, OSINT, social media, image analysis, those types of things. Um, would anybody agree that maybe going deeper into some of these subjects and becoming more of an expert is also helpful? Or is that something that we leave for like advanced people? I think one, one thing about using the term advanced people is the longer I spend in this field, you realize people who are really advanced will still admit that they feel like they hardly know anything. And I include myself in that because there, there, there's so much to learn, right? And so much you don't know. Um, but so bearing that in mind, um, I think, yeah, you, ha you have to do what Ines said at the start. You have to have to pursue things that are interesting to you and that you're passionate about, but at the same time, things that are going to broaden your skill set. So for me, for example, I spent a lot of my OSINT career in law enforcement dealing with social media, um, as you know, like Lisa and others do. But uh, as cybercrime became more of a problem, I found myself having to do more technical stuff. So I had to learn how the internet worked and what DNS is and what IP addresses are. And now I do a lot of OSINT in that area. Um, hmm. and I had to learn how to do geolocation for some other. Like there's always, as long as you are interested in something and it can support your current work um then yeah that's that's the kind of thing to become really advanced in and i think it's also that for me example i know a lot about social media but i don't know a lot about terrorism but i know lauren does so whenever i'm stuck in an area i'm not familiar with i at least know somebody in my network who probably is more advanced at that specific area and i will go to that person for help and i think being advanced is also um being able to be kind of vulnerable saying hey you might see me as an expert but i'm actually very insecure in the area of terrorism for example and you are uh, confident enough to search for help i think that's also very important um, so like knowing your limitations and being knowing okay your limitations with and asking network, yeah know how to ask and who to ask and, and having that network of connections. Uh, I, I know for many years working in some of the jobs that I've had in the past, I was very, very narrowly focused. I had to do this. I went, took a class, I came back and I didn't share what I learned. I didn't read other people except for the very, very most experienced people. But over the years, I found that I was really doing myself a disservice. And I started joining the cybersecurity community and then eventually the OSINT community and, and meeting great people like you all and, and really being okay with not having to know everything, but being competent in a lot of different things and, and being able to reach out to people that do know more than me. Um, cool. Cool. Um, so uh, one of the things that uh, I'll go ahead and post is... Uh, this is the link that uh, Nico and Inesh were talking about, the digital methods. And that, that's the DMI uh, the reference that they're making, that they made. Uh, so Nico, that's the tools. That's the tool section. But they have the a tools. dedicated page for, for all those winter and summer schools, which is also to be found at digital methods, at 
digitalmethods.net. Okay. Digitalmethods.net. Okay. I'll, I'll put that in there too. All right. Cool. All right. Um, so um, we are talking about intermediate skills. Um, what else would you consider intermediate skills or, or makes an intermediate person? You, um, I know that within many of the different industries, IT, cyber, OSINT, Intel, um, there's almost a tiering system, right? Level one, tier one, basic, uh, I mean, intro people are dealing with learning the core skills, learning how to analyze and stuff. And then the more complicated cases get moved to the more advanced or intermediate people. Um, is it the same way that you've experienced that, that, that more complicated cases or deeper cases or, or uh, larger cases maybe also are handled by intermediate people? Or again, is that off topic? I've stumped you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a really good question. But I think one thing that has started to happen more because as OSINT has become a sort of more widely used skill set, I've seen in some organizations, you are starting to get those tiers now, like, like a junior, a senior. There are a, a few certs uh, starting to come into the OSINT industry as well. So you have an idea of sort of people's baseline experience and qualifications. Um, so, so yeah, I'm starting to see that a little bit. However, I realize in a lot of organizations, that's still not the case. And you go to the enthusiast, who's not necessarily the most, you know, the, the most qualified person on paper, but they might have the most passion for OSINT. But yeah, there's um, qualifications and structure definitely starting to creep in more than, say, five years ago. All right, let me throw this out. What about certifications? I mean, is that is that in the world of open source intelligence something that that will differentiate a junior, intermediate, advanced person. Are in our certifications like industry certifications or vendor certifications uh, important at all? Do they, or is it just something that is, um, well, or is it not important? We'll just put it that way. Thoughts? I'll chip in on this. Um, I think five to ten years ago, uh, especially within Europe, there were nearly no certifications or whatever. Uh, this rapidly changed due to a lot of companies offering courses now. Um, and with that, I am definitely seeing a change where certain jobs will being, uh, are being offered, basically saying mandatory, you need to have followed these or these courses with a certificate coming along with it. And with that, I think they are trying to set levels saying, hey, if you are capable of doing this based upon these courses and those certifications, only then you can apply for these jobs. Okay. Although I must say I'm um, doing this for courses and certification sounds more uh, of a good baseline because for me as in law enforcement, I see a lot of vacancies opening up in the field of OSINT and they're asking a certain level of uh, help me out here, Dutch. Um, Habio? <laughs> yeah, bachelor, bachelor's degree. Educational degree. Yeah. And I don't think that that educational degree necessarily states that somebody is capable of doing OSINT work. Because yeah. I know a lot of colleagues who have a lower educational degree, but have amazing talent for OSINT. Yeah, and also the other way around. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mix Absolutely. don't laugh. You know those people. <laughs> well, I mean, and we talked about passion. We talked about motivation earlier. Um, the people that are doing the the OSINT CTFs, solving the quiz time things because they're interested in it, um, I find to be so much more engaged in the work and many times easier to work with than people that clock in, clock out and just do OSINT because it's a paycheck. But it's, I think it's that way, not just in the OSINT world. I think it's that way I was in cyber or when I was working in a gas station. I mean, you know, you had people that love the job, maybe not in the gas station, but you had people that worked the job and then you had people that actually did, um, you know, uh, uh, just clocked in. Um, yeah, which is fine, which is fine because for a lot of people, it is a job. And for, I think most of us, it's a passion and not necessarily a job. Um, what I do think what a lot of employers are forgetting that even though if someone has some certificates or whatever, that doesn't make them good OSINT people. Because in my honest experience, it's impossible to teach someone OSINT in like two or five or 10 day courses and give them a certificate. You'll learn it afterwards by putting it to practice over years and years and years. Right, you can get a job. Like a CTF for uh, a job interview, showing what you can do and seeing how somebody does solve the puzzle, then maybe uh, showing a certificate or a certain educational level, uh, probably a CTF kind of test will probably show better if somebody is good at OSINT or if they aren't. So, so the proof is what they actually can do, their skills. And like Anish said earlier, the, the analysis of how they're doing things. Because um, you can tell a lot from just walking through scenarios with people. I remember when I was, um, when I was interviewing people back at my last job, uh, one of the things we would do is walk them through tabletops. Okay, you did this. Now what do you do? You found this data. Now what do you do? And just hearing people work through those examples, work through the next steps, you can tell this person is is all about bias or this person does not understand the concepts and concepts of the intelligence cycle or, or what have you. Um, so I but, think it also depends on the recruiter. So one of the problems with OSINT, it's, it's because it's a new skill set, or at least it's, it's starting to get its ground now, that there aren't a lot of experts among the people who are actually recruiting. So if you are an expert, I don't think certifications are that important because probably in an interview, talking with people, you can quite easily understand if the person has that ability or not. And it will probably also not be very important for the for you if the person has a degree or they don't. It's more about how they handle things and what they've done so far. But I can also understand that in companies or structures where there's no such skill set that they have to rely in certain extent to others people work that have certified that person as having a, a minimal skill set yeah. so that's probably the situations where a certificate is yeah useful yeah, I think there are there there are times when having that that minimum level of of knowledge, you know, at least you went through the class and can take a test. I, I get that, and um, 
and and that's required by some employers. Uh, but I'm I'm with each one of you over there that that is saying you know what a person's capable of and what is their attitude towards the work is so much more important to me as a manager than um, that they have the whatever certification. Um, now earlier in the conversation we talked about going broader in our experience, and there's shared about the genealogy. Um, now Nick's online, we were talking uh, actually on Twitter, I asked the question of what people want to talk about. And they talked about uh, doing essentially going to um, uh, Twitter. I Sorry, they talked about um, using Shodan and how some people want to learn uh, more about using Shodan. And I thought that's like a really interesting thing because that's that's going deeper into something and, and getting that competence on it. But Nick, do you, you said that you do more like cybery uh, IP domain name things? Um, you have experience with Shodan. I do. Yeah, um, I love Shodan. It's a fantastic tool. I think if you're new to this particular aspect of OSINT, Shodan can seem very very daunting because it is absolutely huge. So. Um, I'll assume that a lot of people who are listening to us or watching this don't know much about Shodan. Um, but if, you, if you've worked in information security, you'll be very much aware of Shodan. If your field of OSINT expertise is not, then it will be a mystery. Um, but what I'll do for those who are watching this, I'll just share my screen. And hopefully you'll be able to see um, what's in here. There we go. Um, <laughs> okay, so Shodan is um, basically captures every single part of the internet. Um, so we know, hang on, my screen share isn't working correctly. Yeah, we can tell. It's <laughs> <laughs> let me out. Oh, right. Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, so I'll talk about Showdown because my window to allow me to screen share has just decided to freeze and crash. Um, Excellent. This is the joys of live web streaming. Hey? So Showdown, um, every single thing that's connected to the internet has an IP address. And Showdown, spends its whole time indexing through every single IP address on the internet, of which there's about four and a half billion, and it reports on what it finds at each one of those IP addresses. So if you have your home router connected to the internet, ah, oh, perfect, this is Shodan. If you have your home router connected to the internet, Shodan will probably see it. If you have a web, your company's web servers connected to the internet, Shodan will find them and it will say, um, what operating system it's using. It will show you um, how up-to-date the software is. It will show you what different kinds of services are running on those servers. Uh, yeah, in fact, if you put nixintel.info in there, you'll, pro you'll find my, um, you'll probably find my survey if you find for it. But because not everyone's security is always perfect, you can find a lot of things on the internet um, which are insecure. So you can find servers that are out of date and could be attacked by ransomware, for example. You could find parts of an organization that they don't talk about publicly. Um, you can find information about security certificates. Um, but where Showdown is really, really useful for OSINT, I mean, sort of maybe more non-technical OSINT, is not only computers are connected to the internet, but you get things like webcams, for example. Um, so before I'll talk about webcams in a second, um, I thought, there we go, brilliant. So all these pictures that Mike has brought up here, they are all from webcams somewhere in the world that are insecure and are connected to the internet. So I guess if you click through these, you'll pro probably be able to see through IP geolocation 
roughly where in the world they are. Um, but yeah, these are people's homes. These are people's offices who have their um, they have their webcam connected to the internet, but they forgot to change the security settings so everyone can see it. And then this is the sort of thing that Showdown is great for. It's great for monitoring stuff for uh, for your clients, for your company. Um, but these little gems in there. And if you're if you're careful enough and diligent enough, you can find pretty much everything that has an IP address at some point. Do yeah. you use the, the premium version or the free version? So there is um, there's a free version of Showdown, which I think that it can find everything. I think the limitation is around how much data you get back. So I think, say, on the I forget the exact numbers, but on the free tier, you might only see the first 10 results all the way up to like enterprise level where you get every single result in the world. But um, it's um, Showdown, they do like a basic one-time payment plan. That's the membership, um, yeah. I, I forget, it's something like 50 pounds, something like that. Um, but that, for small scale stuff, that's usually adequate. Um, but you yeah, also it, get access to you also get access to some of the other features. Like yeah. what I was just showing you was Shodan images. So when Shodan, unlike uh, Google and Bing and Yandex, when they're scanning the internet, they're looking for websites. Shodan's just looking for whatever's running on whatever devices it finds. And some of those devices are are very tiny things like Raspberry Pi computers or or sensors that are on the internet. And it will take and Shodan will take pictures of whatever it sees. And those pictures then go ahead and um, are revealed in this images. And to get to the images.shodan.io, you need to have a certain level of access. And the pay, having a paid membership or having having a paid uh, subscription or a paid plan membership, that is that one time fee that Stephen was talking about is important. Um, but th the idea about Shodan is, is all of this stuff is out there. And one of the things that I like is that you can take this information and much like you can do for Google, Bing, Yandex, there are all of these wonderful filters that you can use to narrow down what you have. It's exactly the same type of thing. Um, in fact, you know, here's beta.shodan.io slash search slash filters. And we can pull apart things from HTTP. We can look at Bitcoin stuff. Um, and we can even uh, go ahead and filter further down. So um, let me give you an example. So if can, we are... Can, in can I pop in one yeah, yeah. question just in between? So how about the legal aspect of what you find in Shodan? So you are investigating someone just out of just out of curiosity and you stumble upon, uh, well, let's say someone's uh, webcam inside their home. What what next? Ah, that privacy issue is, is very important. Um, now, some of the geolocation the geolocation that happens in Shodan, to my knowledge, is based upon IP address. So it's not exact, but it is regional. For instance, we were just seeing pictures inside of uh, Berlin uh, House, and I've seen images in Shodan from inside of uh, uh, baby nurseries and restaurants and other things. So there are privacy issues here. The thing is, is I guess it depends on what you're doing and where you are, Nico, because. You know, these are live cameras that are streaming to the internet. It's uh, there are some resources that Shodan will find, and then when you visit it, it says, "Oh, you have to log in here." Uh, now, I do not advocate you know trying bait and default usernames and passwords or anything to get in there, but um, there are a lot of um, devices that are just online 
and showing stuff. Um, interacting with them, I think, is I was showing uh, my SANS class uh, this past week. Uh, we essentially went to a uh, well, let me just show you what we did. And, and then um, the question becomes, you know, what do you do? So let's say that I am looking for maybe uh, I'll make this smaller. So uh, the way to get at data in Shodan is with filters. So if I want to look at uh, things on port 8001 in a certain country like Italy, oh, um, you can go ahead and do that. And then it comes back with results and we can continue to refine uh, based upon city organization or other things. Uh, we can also do things like has a screenshot um, to find things. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, so what we're doing is essentially narrowing it down. Now you might have an IP address or domain name or other thing that you're interested in. Uh, and you, so you put it in here, but and sometimes we can go ahead and just take a look at these, these pictures and videos. And we have not visited the site yet. Okay. This is all on Shodan. So if I click on this IP camera, I'm still on Shodan. If I come down here and click on that little button, then I go to the resource. And I think that's where the, the privacy issues might happen. Um, I'll pause there. But I mean, that's that's kind of it is we start with some point, IP, domain, a keyword. You can type in Space Explorations Technology Corporation and find any servers, web servers, SSH servers, mail servers that have that string in anything that Shodan's captured. It's absolutely fabulous, like you said, Nick. And it's, it, somebody mentioned, somebody said, let's see, so uh, Andre, I'm gonna go, call you out, man. Um, it's like gratified uh, or glorified Nmap. No, it it's way more than that. I think they, they use Zmap. Last time I checked, they're using Zmap and in scanning the internet, um, but they record what comes back. Uh, yeah, really a, a real big difference um, between, I mean, Nmap, Zmap, and Shodan is when you're using Shodan, it's a completely passive form of OSINT. So you are querying Shodan's database. Excellent. And although Shodan will go and get it themselves, you are only viewing, viewing the results. But until you leave Shodan's platform, it's completely passive. Um, and they update really regularly. I, I think they claim to scan the whole internet uh, every two weeks, roughly. So the, this stuff is usually quite current. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing is it's it's almost like um, you gain information about domains, IPs, keywords, ports. Um, uh, you can even do things like um, I know that some of you know about the Kali Linux or the uh, Trace Labs OSINT VM. Uh, there's these virtual machines that people will use on their systems. And like with the Kali Linux uh, virtual machine, all the people that have the Kali Linux virtual machine, at least at one point, had the same SSH keys for the system. It was, you know, they would generate the SSH key and then everybody would take it and that's the SSH key. And what you could do is look at that SSH key fingerprint in Shodan and then see all the places in the world where somebody has a Kali Linux VM that is on the internet because that identifier hasn't been changed. Um, so, every, I mean, Nick's, I think we need to make like a 10 minute tip or a, several 10 minute tips on Shodan. Yeah. You, we, we could talk about Shodan, but because it's the, everything on the whole internet, it's so broad. 
Um, but you just reminded me of something there from an OSINT perspective. I think Justin Seitz wrote a tutorial a couple of years ago on uh, someone who had been, um, he'd identified some dark web servers because the person used the same SSH key on to log into their tall server as they did for their public server. And you search Shodan for that fingerprint and matched and found the different servers and found them that way. If, yeah. There are so many things you can do with it for OSINT. But you know what? This goes back to something that somebody mentioned earlier in our comments, but also that we were talking about. You can do this. I can do this because we have that baseline knowledge in a discipline outside of open source intelligence, right? We understand cyber. We understand IT. And with that familiarity, this this area opens up. Um, but if other people don't know, then you know they can ask us like Technozet was saying. Have we stunned you, Nico? You just I'm staring on, there with that glassy I'm, eyes. I'm, you're I'm, on. You're on Shodan, aren't you? Right. That's now? That, that's my natural face. No, I was I was literally looking at at Shodan just now. I'm like, I I know a little bit about Shodan, but I definitely need to need to step up my game within Shodan. And honestly, it has never for me until now, uh, really. I never had cases, so. My background is in law enforcement, but not in, uh, necessarily within, uh, for instance, I can only imagine, for instance, the high-tech uh, cybercrime unit within Dutch law enforcement. They will probably have used children way more than I did. But I was into 99% uh, of my times finding people or groups. Yep. Well, that's, I assume, at least, that's pretty hard to do on, well, maybe if they're on an open camera, then we can find individuals or groups. Well, I mean, one of the things that, so so if you think about the world of computers just in general, and you think about how things are put together, there are a lot of points in there where we can take one piece of data, like Nix was saying, that SSH key, and then find other places where that SSH key has been used. We can do the same thing. Uh, Shodan actually has a filter for HTML, HTTP dot html so you think about they're they're grabbing the source code of some web pages could you search inside the source code of pages could you look for all of the pages in the netherlands that had a banner of official government computer or whatever that is translated into dutch um but then you know instead of just discovery things you you can go and target it and say this company or this organization has this IP address range. Let's see what's on there or uses this HTTPS certificate. It really is uh, quite an amazing tool. And the more you get in there, the more you learn, the more you learn, the more you want to get in there. It's really cool. You, you can search by username or something, can't you? By username? What do you mean? Well, because I, I remember a case, but I, I, I'm certainly not a, an expert in, in Shodan, but I remember a case of a, of my team finding someone who had this really expensive Bang Olufsen uh, sound system through their username or because they have somehow named their network with their name or something through Shodan. So I remember that case because it was very particular. And for us, it was an opportunity back at those days to actually approach the person through the knowing that he had that sound system at home. But yeah, so maybe can, can we do that? Can we search for like username or how do you think they found it? 
So there are some ways that you can do that um, based upon the information coming back. Again, it gets more cybery, more technical, but um, when Shodan reaches out to a system and uh, VNC is running or RDP, remote desktop protocols running, and it interrogates the system, um, some, I mean, it will take pictures of things that say Michael Hoffman's computer or you know, in Windows systems, when you when you lock them and you have multiple people that can log in, it'll show you their names, their avatars, and other things. So, um, if we know the country, the city, um, maybe how they've named their computer, we can and Shodan scanned it because it's on the internet. Um, we can sometimes uh, grab it that way. But uh, searching directly for usernames, probably not, unless it's a string found in a page somewhere. Um, it's really common. Um, people who have home NAS boxes for storing their stuff on at home. So they have like, I don't know, the Smith family backup server and they just put that really, really common to find that sort of thing. So if, you, if you're searching for a particular person then uh, or surname, then try that. But um, it's, it's not that common, but yeah, they are there. If you I know think that. that's a good point that you just brought up because um, uh, most people, when they do searching, they do it on uh, what we call within the OS community, the clear web which is basically all that indexed part. But in essence, the information, most of the information that, well, that I found in Shodan is probably most likely either deep web or dark web. There is, of course, um, a clear web in there, but that's an interesting uh, way you just make me think of how maybe Shodan is, Shodan is providing us with that blind spot, which we normally would not see. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one of the things that we talk about um, in other other places is, you know, when you think about the surface web, that's the kind of that the content that you can find in Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, Yandex search engines. We are not showing the iceberg. We're oh, come on, Nico, please, please. <laughs> I hate that iceberg. Um, but no, I mean, the, the surface web stuff is typically what you can find in those search engines. What Shodan does is goes beyond just those search engines, uh, that search engine content and shows you, all right, well, this has got a website on that on that port, but it has an SSH, FTP, Telnet, whatever on other points. In fact, one of the things, and let me just share it. Let me just see if I can do this. Um, one of the things that I like doing is, is uh, essentially going and finding uh, we specify like a port uh, 8001. Um, so for web ports, you usually have like 80 and 443 are the ports when web, where web servers are, are found. Um, and then we can go ahead and do the has screenshot true. And then many of these things you'll see here, this is an access network camera. Some of these cameras are you know, nice high-end security cameras that uh, have pan, tilt, zoom, um, and you have to be careful when you go there. But some of these, we can also look like, here's a security camera inside of a sweet shop or something else like that. Um, many of these we can just go ahead and pivot to, but there are some systems that will show you, um, let me just see, let's just pull, it, pull up this one. See how this has got a, a camera on port 8001? Well, sometimes they'll also have another camera for the shop or for the house on 8002, on 8003, on 8004. And in my 
my class, I was showing my students, I'm like, here, let's look at all of these different angles. And we could see like all the way around this, this location, just passively watching their cam, actively watching their cameras on their site, but um, identifying it through Shodan. It was absolutely amazing. Stungy. So sorry, not to fangirl all over Shodan. It is a great resource and um, we don't have any Shodan codes or anything to give out. Um, but Shodan does have the free level that you can just use it. Don't just go to Shodan and do stuff. Uh, register for a free account with a valid email because then you can start using these filters that you've seen me and, uh, and heard Nick's talk about. You see me use and heard Nick's talk about. Um, if you don't register for the account, you can't use the filters. Um, and then you know, consider checking it out for other things. You can also, if you're doing cyber defense or monitoring, you can put your network range in there. And then it will tell you when changes have happened or new devices come online from your network. Um, really nice if you're doing just protection of perimeter. And if you, I'll mention it quickly because it's really similar. Um, there is a Chinese version of Shodan called Zoomai, uh, which is very, very similar. You might be familiar with it. It, do, it doesn't, it's, the interface isn't quite as good. Um, but if in terms of finding everything on the internet and internet, internet of things, connected devices, webcams, uh, coffee machines, whichever thing. It's, it's really good for that too, that Zoomai. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, is that a lot of people, when they are looking at uh, an organization and they're trying to figure out what is this organization's online presence, if they're just mm -hmm. focusing on the websites that are out there, they're many times missing these internet connected uh, security cameras and badge readers and other stuff. I remember uh, one place I was looking into had IP addresses and it was for like the security gates to open up point of sale systems and so much more. Um, so uh, if you're interested, you know, we're happy to give more love to the, the Shodan tool or, or other products. Again, uh, we just find it useful in some aspects of our work. Cool. Well, that has been, uh, that's about an hour. Do you, I mean, I think that uh, we pretty much knocked that, uh, that what is an internet person, what is an intermediate OSINT person um, topic? We knocked that out of the park. And then we talked about going wide, going deep in uh, different areas within OSINT and talked about more things as well. Anybody else want to say anything? Have thoughts before we go? I and now I need more time again. <laughs> more, you need more <laughs> I time need more time to explore all the wonders of Ozin. Yeah. Well, and and you know what? Um, I've talked several times about um, my imposter feelings and imposter syndrome. Whenever I see somebody come on and talk about this technology or that technology, many times I'm like, "Oh, I should know that." Oh, I'm so dumb, or I'm so. The reality is, is I think, and just nod your head or blink twice if you have the same thing. I have a list this long of all the different things I need to get into, whether it's crypto or Python or whatever. And the list keeps getting longer and longer. But that's that's the fun part of OSINT, I think. There's always more to learn, right? Yeah, couldn't cool. agree more. I need uh, an entire lifetime extra to I actually learn learned what did you learn, Technozet? You you broke up a second there. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, I actually learned some something new about Snapchat, and I thought it was maybe worth sharing with everybody. 
Because yeah. I've noticed that when I'm working on the Snapchat live map, I see content coming along and I wonder who is the person who uploaded it. And there's no way of finding out whoever did. But then if you're looking on the mobile app, so either on a physical phone or in a virtual device, and you're looking at the Snapchat live map there, sometimes underneath a video, it says view creator. And you will be able to pivot to the person whoever uploaded the Snapchat on the live map. So okay. I thought it was worth sharing, especially with all of the, uh, how do you say it? Well, we had a couple of riots here in the Netherlands due to all of the Corona uh, measurement measures that have been taken by the government. But I'm guessing that in a lot of countries, this is an issue. And especially for people who are monitoring a certain area somewhere on the world, it's quite interesting to find out whoever uploaded a Snapchat video just by using the mobile app. Nice. Um, that's my two cents for today. <laughs> that is an amazing ending uh, shot there. It's like, oh, let me just drop this uh, this uh, thing that everybody's wanted to well, know who's on. Go full out on like Shodan, but that's it's awesome. Thought it would yeah. be worth sharing. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Tech Gazette. Cool. All right. Well, um, that has been another hour of the OSINT Curious webcast podcast live stream. We got to come up with a different way of that of saying that. I got to go. That's been another hour of OSINT Curious online live for your pleasure. No, that did not sound good at all. And you there's no, at least you tried. No <laughs> editing of this. Ah. All right. Well, thank you so much for watching us. Thank you for listening. If you didn't get a chance to hear the entire broadcast, uh, it is being recorded and will be live. Uh, will be recorded on Twitch and on our YouTube channel. Check out our website if you have questions about any of that stuff. Our website is osincurio.us or osincurious.com, osincurious.org. Um, thank you to my guests, Technozette, Dutch Osink Guy, Inez, uh, and Stephen for all of your work today. Great conversation. Bye -bye. Yeah. Thank all right, you. everybody, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.